You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Kaseya continues to work on patching its VSA products. The U.S. mulls retaliation for the Kaseya ransomware campaign, as well as for Cozy Bear's attempt on the Republican National Committee and Fancy Bear's brute forcing efforts. Russia denies any wrongdoing. Current events fish bait. Microsoft patches print nightmare. Joe Kerrigan looks at recent updates to Google's scorecards tool. Our guest is Yumesh Sashdev of Unifor, describing his entrepreneurial journey. And the Lazarus Group is back, fishing for defense workers. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. We begin with updates on the Kaseya ransomware incident. Kaseya had expected that it would be able to patch and restore its VSA software-as-a-service product by today, but technical problems its developers encountered have blocked the rollout. As of 8 a.m. Eastern Time today, the company was still working to resolve the issues it encountered. By the time of today's noon update, Kaseya reported having made some progress— With respect to the VSA on-premises product, Kaseya said, We will be publishing a runbook of the changes to make to on-premises environments by 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time today so customers can prepare for the patch release. The company promises an update on the VSA on-premises fix by 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time today. As far as updating the VSA software-as-a-service product, The company pushed the anticipated availability of a patch until tomorrow. Kaseya said, quote, During the VSA SAS deployment, an issue was discovered that has blocked the release. We are resolving the issue that is related to our SAS infrastructure, and we plan on beginning to restore SAS services no later than the evening of Thursday, July 8th, U.S. time. Reuters quotes U.S. President Biden as offering yesterday a relatively upbeat preliminary assessment of the consequences of the ransomware campaign. Mr. Biden said, quote, It appears to have caused minimal damage to U.S. businesses, but we're still gathering information. I feel good about our ability to be able to respond. End quote. That said, the U.S. government is continuing its investigation and is signaling an intention to do something about Revil and other gangs or privateers. Among other things, the U.S. administration said that it has communicated very clearly to Russian authorities that the U.S. wants the Revil operators brought to book. CBS News reported yesterday that White House Press Secretary Saki said 
The U.S. had been in touch with Russian officials about the Revil operation and that if Russia doesn't take action against its ransomware gangs, quote, we will, unquote. TASS is, of course, authorized to disclose that Russia not only had nothing to do with the attack and that it knew nothing about it, and that, in fact, Moscow had heard nothing from Washington about the matter. So either the messages crossed one another or someone's telling a diplomatic whopper. The smart money's on the whopper. The Kremlin usually maintains it doesn't know anything and would like to see your evidence. The ransomware attack, coming as it did so soon after cybersecurity figured prominently in the Russo-American summit, has placed the U.S. administration under pressure to devise some effective retaliation that might deter such attacks. The Washington Post reports a growing sense that the U.S. must either win some public concessions from Russia quickly or punch back hard. Fortune asks why major cyber attacks tend to happen around holidays and gives the obvious answer. Around holidays, people's minds tend to be elsewhere, people's bodies on vacation. The U.S. Republican National Committee said yesterday that one of its contractors had been breached by APT-29. That's Cozy Bear, Russia's SVR, and the same outfit responsible for the initial compromise of the RNC's rival Democratic National Committee during the 2016 elections. The Hill reports that Synex was the vendor breached and that the intrusion was accomplished through a cloud service. Bloomberg says there was no serious compromise of data and that the incident was quickly contained. The Kremlin, in this case, also says it didn't do nothing. Nothing, they tell you. Bloomberg quotes Russia's official spokesman Dmitry Peskov as saying, quote, We can only repeat that whatever happened, and we don't know specifically what took place here, this had no connection to official Moscow. End quote. Russian official denials of involvement aside, the New York Times contends that the cyber espionage attempt against the RNC places President Biden under more pressure to develop some effective public response to Russian activities in cyberspace. The Washington Post quotes an unnamed senior U.S. official as saying, No one thing is going to work alone. We're pushing everybody on all of these angles, whether it involves building resilience, using diplomacy, or disrupting networks. And because we believe only together, we will significantly impact this threat. End quote. Some significant portion of any response seems likely to be economic in nature. Dmitry Alperovich, chairman of the Silverado Policy Accelerator, and Matthew Rozhansky, director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute, published an op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday in which they called for an ultimatum and were clear in what they recommended the else should be in or else, quote, Before such devastating ransomware attacks become a routine occurrence, President Biden must deliver a quiet but forceful demand. Russian President Vladimir Putin must put an immediate stop to this activity or Washington will tighten the squeeze of sanctions on the Russian economy, end quote. APT-28, that's Fancy Bear, Russia's GRU, also remains active. ThreatPost offers an account of Fancy Bear's ongoing brute force and password spraying campaign against Western targets, another campaign of which Moscow knows nothing. Nothing, they tell you. Crisis draws opportunists, and the Kaseya ransomware incident appears to be no different in that respect. Malwarebytes notes that references to the Kaseya incident have begun appearing as fishbait in social engineering schemes, 
usually emails offering malicious links or attachments. The subjects suggest an offer of advice, warning, or counsel in the matter of the Kaseya exploit. Jerome Segura, director of threat intelligence at Malwarebytes, told us in an email exchange that, quote, threat actors often use opportunistic themes in their campaigns, and we believe this is the case here. This Kaseya fake update is a Cobalt Strike payload, and interestingly hosted on the same IP address used for another campaign pushing Drydex. In the past, we've seen the same threat actor behind Drydex use Cobalt Strike. End quote. Treat such emails with the same caution you'd apply to notices of automatic renewals of services you don't remember signing up for, or appeals for your cooperation from the widow of the late Prince What's-His-Name, formerly Minister of Oil or something out in Nigeria. Microsoft has released out-of-band patches for the print nightmare vulnerability, so take a look and consider applying them if they affect your systems. And finally, North Korean intelligence services haven't left the cyber espionage game. AT&T Alien Labs describes the Lazarus Group's latest campaign, which involves phishing for employees of defense contractors, notably by impersonating Airbus, General Motors, and Rheinmetall, There is, according to Alien Labs, a high emphasis on renaming system utilities, CertUtil and Explorer, to obfuscate the adversary's activities. Their report adds, quote, The documents attempted to impersonate new defense contractors and engineering companies like Airbus, General Motors, and Rheinmetall. All of these documents contain macro malware, which has been developed and improved during the course of this campaign, and from one target to another. The core techniques for the three malicious documents are the same, but the attackers attempted to reduce the potential detections and increase the faculties of the macros. So, Pyongyang has still got game. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. 
Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Our particular industry vertical is full of stories of hungry entrepreneurs, folks who believe they've come up with a product or service worth sharing with the rest of the world, with the dream of building a lucrative business or an impactful nonprofit along the way. Umesh Sashdev is one such entrepreneur, currently CEO and co-founder of Unifor, an enterprise AI and SaaS provider that recently announced $140 million in funding. He shares his insights on his entrepreneurial journey. Uh, having been now an entrepreneur for over 20 years, in hindsight, there are a few things that are really important. Hmm. First, having a very solid product market fit, having a strong validation from the market, from the customers that the problem that you're really trying to solve is indeed a large enough problem and one that's actually worth solving. But also more importantly, as I've now realized, because I, I now mentor other early states, founders, etc., the stage of life when somebody takes the plunge is a very, very important variable, which can have a hmm. big impact on chances of success. Hmm. And I've found that there are three stages of life which uh, increase the chance of success tremendously for somebody to become a founder. One is really early on, right at the end of the education period in our life, much like me and my co-founder, because um, the phenomenon there is first, the uh, there are less people dependent on, on the founders economically. The founders have a much longer runway. They just have to support themselves uh, and probably, you know, uh, a few other folk. The age there is also one of where you're still in the formative years of your ideas, and there's a strong willingness to learn a lot of new things and there's less to unlearn. So that age is one where the chances of success are higher. The second phase in life to me is uh, towards the midlife. When somebody spent say 20, 25 years in the career, gained enough experience, climbed the corporate ladder, seen scale, and probably even financially saved enough for if they take the risk, if they do take the plunge, by this time there's potentially a small family or some, you know, some other folks who are dependent financially on the founder. And so it's important to know that you have a three or four year runway for yourself, for your family. Uh, you've seen the scale, you've saved enough, and you're ready to take the plunge because it's all about minimizing distractions when you're in the founding journey. And then the third phase for me is when you really run your first inning successfully, you're ready to retire from your corporate you know, innings and jobs and whatever you're doing, and, but you're still not ready to hang your boots. You still have the energy or that itch. And at that late stage in life is the third big opportunity 
where chances of, su- of success are higher. If you notice across the three that I mentioned, the thing that's common is it's really about have you taken care of everything else so your chances of being distracted are minimized. And if they are minimized, you're likely to invest almost all of your energy in building the business and building the, the startup that you really want to build out. Our thanks to Umesh Sashdev from Unifor for joining us. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, Interesting story from the Hacker News website, and this is about some new tools that Google is providing. What's going on here, Joe? So, Dave, no development, almost no development, gets done anymore without the incorporation of some open source project. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this has actually been a problem in a number of breaches, I think we talked about one that used a cloned repository from somebody and turned it malicious and mm-hmm. and that got integrated into some some other breach. I can't remember exactly where that was. Right, right. And the folks who were using what they thought was that open source code did not know that, that the problem had occurred. Right, yeah. exactly. Well, Google has a product called Scorecard, uh, which is available on GitHub and you can just download it and use it. Uh, And what this tool does is it analyzes these repositories that you have. Hmm. And it develops a a scorecard or a score for how risky the library is. Hmm. Now, this is a new version. That's what this article is talking about. And there are a number of improvements in the new edition or version of the software. Hmm. And they include checking repositories for contributions from malicious authors or from compromised accounts, Hmm. which is pretty pretty good Mm -hmm. because that's how they're going to introduce backdoors into these code repositories. So yeah, imagine you have a uh, a system that relies heavily on some network trafficking tool that you're using, and somebody just inserts a backdoor in that network trafficking tool. Now uh, you have a backdoor in your product, mm-hmm. and that's bad. Um, they also have fuzzing. They also now do fuzzing, which is a uh, a way to test how good uh, code is, right? Because a lot of times. That's how overflow buffer overflow vulnerabilities are found is through fuzzing. Oh, I see. So fuzzing puts a bit of a, like a stress test on the code? Right. It's, it were? Essentially, I'm going to put random data into the code and see what happens. I see. Yep. Also includes new static analysis tool uh, and looks for signs of continuous integration slash continuous deployment compromises. Hmm. Uh, also looks for bad dependencies. So if the dependency, you know, if, if you have a dependency to a known bad uh product, then it'll let you know. Hmm. Interesting. So how would, what part of the workflow would, would you work this into? How does, what's in your estimation, what's the proper place to, to use a tool like this? Anytime that you're doing configuration management and you've said, I'm going to use this library and we're going to use this version of this library, Mm -hmm. then you should run, if you're going to use this, this tool, run the tool on that version of the library. I see. I see. All right. Well, uh, yeah, interesting development. New version of a uh, a free, openly available tool that can uh, help keep you out of trouble, right? Yep. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave.
And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.